Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the first day of October 2022. I'm your host, Mark Allen. Let's take a look back at a week where literally just about everything changed. Thankfully, though, so far at least, no nukes have exploded, but we're certainly closer than we ever have been. And you can't help but think that people that are blowing up pipelines and willing to destroy most of Northern Europe are downright jonesing for it. So let's start there with the demolition, and I'll use that word expressly, of both the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines within a period of about 24 hours. And if the culprit was pretty much obvious right up front, it became increasingly undeniable as the week wore on. Still, though, let's try to tackle the story to make it clear more or less chronologically. Here's what we knew first, as of Tuesday, perhaps day one of the latest escalation towards World War III, and that's because somebody just threw another sucker punch, poking the bear, or whatever euphemism you might want to use, and perhaps even trying to provoke somebody into making a first nuclear strike. And since that story is guaranteed not to get the coverage it deserves, but we certainly did get the expected propaganda spin, here we go. It looks like the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was sabotaged on Monday. Or maybe just blown up, puts it more clearly. Courtesy of Zero Hedge and Swedish broadcaster SVT, which reported that Sweden's National Seismic Network detected two underwater explosions near the Nord Stream pipeline on Monday. One of them was magnitude 2.3 and was registered on as many as 30 different stations in southern Sweden, said the media outlet. Seismology professor Bjorn Lund said, yep, they certainly look like explosions. That was confirmed when other news agencies noted that the size of the gas leak in the Baltic Sea was literally huge, over a half mile in diameter. That's a lot of gas, folks. But there's more. Less than 24 hours after Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline was taken out, abruptly it went down. Yeah, sure. Nord Stream 1 has been sabotaged as well. Government officials say reports are now assuming the damage is intentional and probably the result of an attack by foreign forces. Due to the timing, the fact that three separate pipelines were in total affected, by the time we got to the weekend, it was four, and severe pressure losses in Nord Stream 1, officials say they expect the worst. Quote, we can no longer imagine any scenario other than a targeted attack, said a person privy to the assessment by federal government and federal authorities. And that one looks like a German source, but they do say everything speaks again a coincidence. And given that this attack would have had to have been on the seabed, it's anything but trivial. would have had to have been carried out by special forces. For example, Navy divers or a submarine, said people informed of the initial assessments. When it comes to responsibility for the alleged attacks, two possibilities are being discussed. First, according to the initial speculation, oh yeah, could have been Ukrainian or Ukrainian-affiliated forces, although they probably don't have the technology, folks. At least not without help. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because with the temporary shutdown of the Nord Stream pipelines, gas deliveries from Russia to Germany and the rest of Central Europe would only be possible via the Yamal pipeline running through Poland or the Ukrainian pipeline network. But wait, this is interesting and oh so coincidental, I'm sure, that Baltic Pipe Project shipping gas from Denmark to Poland over the weekend announced that they're ready to be commissioned at full capacity as of the end of November this year. But there's another prime suspect, if you haven't already guessed. What do you bet Vladimir Putin has? They did hold their tongues briefly, by the way. By Friday, that was over. On February 7th, ABC News reported a Q&A with the marionette-in-chief, the man masquerading as president, who read the teleprompter to say the following. 
Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring it into it. But, but how will you how will you do that exactly? Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control, we will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. What do you bet people are replaying that tape this morning and asking, yeah, who else? Gonzalo Lira put it this way. This is the modern equivalent of Cortez burning his ships upon arrival in the New World. Occam's razor strongly suggests that the world controllers headquartered in the USA are attempting to prevent any Europeans from caving in or surrendering to Russia. So that, at least for Germany, there's basically no way out at this point. And if you think it through, he makes a pretty good point. This is to prevent the Europeans from being able to surrender to Russia and thereby free themselves from the satanic New World Order. Said Gonzalo Lira, now I realize that the Americans will stop at nothing to destroy all of their allies because what's really happening is that the global American empire is collapsing and they're lashing out in all directions, unquote. And whether that's true or not, folks, the senility masquerading as leadership is forcing everybody with half a brain in the rest of the world to at least ask the question. Columnist Vox Day put it this way. At this point, every nation on earth would have to be crazy to cooperate with the U.S. government in any way, much less comply with its demands. And the destruction of Europe's energy lifelines underlines the truth of something Henry Kissinger famously pointed out oh so long ago. Quote, to be an enemy of the U.S. is dangerous, but to be a friend is fatal, unquote. No doubt about it, folks, there has just been a huge escalation towards the all-out war that so many in the deep state swamp have been jonesing for for so long. Shortly thereafter, Russia started to remove the gloves, although they haven't yet responded in kind. Honestly, folks, I guess nothing would surprise me at this point, but a limited response certainly could include something like an attack on an LNG terminal in the United States. Hey, here's what it feels like to have your natural gas supplies destroyed. But a midweek story from TASS, the Russian news agency, gave a pretty good clue as to how they intended to handle it. It's time for the EU to wake up, that one said, according to Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova, who posted a video on her Telegram channel with that infamous statement, I'll play it for you in a second, of U.S. then-Undersecretary of State Victoria Nuland about stopping, by any means necessary it would seem, the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Are you still looking for an answer to the question of who's behind the whole Ukrainian bloody scenario, the destruction of pan-European cooperation, and the global world crisis, wrote the diplomat, whereupon she attached this video. Um, With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies, and I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Arguably, they moved it to destruction. As Zakharova concluded, quote, and before that, she had set out the goal very clearly, saying, fuck the EU. When will Brussels wake up, she asked. 
Since we haven't yet seen a measured response from Russia, I guess this, at least in contrast, is almost humorous. The Daily Mail by Friday morning was asking questions, even if they were still giving the leftist knee-jerk answers. Who did blow up the Nord Stream gas pipelines? Was it Russia or America? Conspiracy theory. See, there you have it. They have to put that in there so it's not too obvious that they know darn well who actually done it. Conspiracy theories point the finger of blame at the Biden Fuhrer amid a riddle, yeah sure, of blasts in the Baltic. They do admit this, though. Sounds like at least a reasonable scenario. But you'll note the obvious inserted flaws. Deep beneath the Baltic Sea, the piece begins a remotely controlled submarine. Call it a drone, if you like. Releases a mine which nestles besides a gas pipeline. Other mines are laid at critical junctures along hundreds of miles of piping. No, that doesn't seem to have been what happened, folks. It was just a few places. Connecting Russia and Germany. They contain the equivalent of hundreds of pounds of TNT. And when they're detonated, either by a timing device or remotely from a secret control room, the aftershocks are felt 800 miles away. And seismologists liken the blast, because that's what they measured, to earthquakes. Within seconds, Nord Stream 1 and 2 begin to leak. Within days, millions of cubic meters of natural gas have been released into Danish and Swedish waters. Mission accomplished for whoever it was, and it's pretty darned obvious, isn't it? Whoever it was that instigated this unprecedented act of industrial terrorism. That's not industrial terrorism, you blithering idiots. They just destroyed most of northern Europe. And listen to this inanity. The next sentence says, But was it also the staggering act of self-sabotage by Vladimir Putin that the world, or at least those that are really stupid in the world, I can't help but think, assumes it must have been? Yeah, we can turn it off for a while, but hey, I know, let's just blow up 10 or $20 billion worth of infrastructure that took years to build. Yeah, and we'll destroy any negotiating leverage we have for a settlement while we're at it. That's really smart. Still, though, after making all of their stupid points with the left, they did actually have to come out and admit this. After all, and I'm reading it, the president who threatened to end Nord Stream earlier this year resides not in the Kremlin, but in the White House. And the Biden puppet, they admit, could not have been clear when, in early February, he promised to bring Nord Stream to an end should Russian troops and tanks enter Ukraine. So, since the invasion happened, they ask, did Mr. Biden take the revenge he promised? At the very least, all of this has proved a, get this, propaganda gift to the Kremlin in the aftermath of the, <laughs> who are we kidding, leaks. That's like saying there was a leak in the Titanic, folks. At least the White Star Line didn't try to blame the Russians for that. All right, changing gears next, at least briefly, there were some more encouraging developments early on in the week, although certainly the deep state can be expected to resist those with the same inanity and probably ultimately escalating violence that we've gotten accustomed to. First Sweden, now Italy, says one of the more important pieces from first thing Monday morning, courtesy of Zero Hedge and others, referring to Europe, where their unelected authoritarian ruler, Ursula van der Leyen of the EU, isn't going to be happy at all. Matter of fact, the EU seems to have even issued some threats. We'll see how those play out. But it looks like, and uh, this, of course, is subject to revision if you understand how elections get rigged after the fact, Italy's national election has given the right-wing bloc of Giorgia Maloney not only victory but a clear majority, if perhaps not quite a supermajority yet, which will propel Maloney to the top of the Italian government as that country's next prime minister, ushering in a historic right-wing shift for a country like Sweden up until two weeks ago that has for a very long time been very left-wing. 
And as you can guess, that may have very well upset some of the purveyors of the Great Reset and Great Plandemic. So to follow up on that major move away from fascism in Italy, regardless of what the lying, controlled Orwellian media would like you to believe, they wouldn't know fascism, folks, if they saluted with a double-fisted Heil Hitler. I am reminded, of course, of what Huey P. Long, once governor of Louisiana, said so many years ago, asked if fascism would ever come to America. He said, yeah, but we'll call it anti-fascism. And he was absolutely right. Now that Europe's turning away from it and turning towards freedom, the left is having a conniption fit, and maybe that had something to do with the timing of what we're seeing today. Dr. Ron Paul, MD, and former presidential candidate, asked this, will Italy's election foreshadow something that may or may not be allowed to happen in the U.S. midterms? Sunday, he writes, was an historic day for Italy. A conservative alliance with a populist flair absolutely trounced the technocrats who'd been running the country into the ground over the past several years. Previous prime minister, former Goldman Sachs bankster Mario Draghi, had implemented one of the most restrictive and outright inhuman COVID shutdowns, and, along with supporting those economically suicidal sanctions against Russia, had left Italy an economic basket case. But now, replacing the bland banker, he writes, will likely be Giorgia Maloney from what they call the right-wing Sons of Italy party. And Maloney will be a first for Italy, the first female prime minister. But interesting, you're not hearing any of the far left celebrating that. Her name cannot be mentioned in the mainstream media, writes Dr. Paul, without some reference to Mussolini, who's more likely, folks, rolling over in his grave. And let's not forget, he says, the democratic victory of Maloney and the rest of the Italian right owes a great deal of gratitude to one of Europe's worst true fascists, i.e. the most undemocratic and anti-democratic leaders, the unelected European Union Commissioner Ursula von der Leyen. On the eve of the Italian elections, the unelected czar warned Italians that if they dared to vote for the wrong, that was her term, parties, they'd be punished. And ask about the surge of the political opposition in Italy. On the eve of those elections, she warned Italian voters, we will see the result of the vote in Italy. If things go in a different direction, and I've spoken about Hungary and Poland, we have the tools. Yeah, folks, you can take or leave the German accent, but the fascist inclination, I can't help but think, is really clear, and it's not coming from the woman that actually won a real election. From there, I do want to interject this bit of information, also courtesy of Zero Hedge, and a site called Oriental Fury, which asks, just why do they hate Italy's next prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, so much? Well, evidently because she understands. Here's one of the quotes. I'll read a couple more in a second. Because when I'm only a number, she said, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumers. From an archive speech given just before the raucous, given just before the landslide election, Maloney said the following. Please answer me these questions. She said them in Italian, by the way, which is why I'm not playing the quotes. This is about what we are doing here today. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightening? There's a single answer to all these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy for those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to be perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself, she said, as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. Nope. 
I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number. Because when I'm only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be that perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. That she said, is the reason why. That's why we inspire so much fear. That, folks, is why they call her a fascist, because she's exactly the opposite of what they have so successfully almost completely implemented. That, she said, is why this event inspires so much fear, because we don't want to be numbers. We will defend the value of the human being, every single human being, because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable, and like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God country and family whoa and now you know why they hate her those things she said that disgust people so much we'll do it to defend our freedom because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of the financial speculators that is our mission that is why i came here today and I love this quote. She uses it, courtesy of G.K. Chesterton, who wrote, she noted, more than a century ago, fires will be kindled to testify that two plus two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. And that, she writes, means the time has arrived. We are ready. And you betcha, that's why they hate her. That's why the true fascists, globalists, world controllers, and public-private partners Compare her to Mussolini. They hate you, too. Oh, yeah. And they also think you're too stupid to see through what's being done to you. Writes Dr. Paul, the message, at least, to Italian voters was clear. Yeah, you can vote, but if you don't vote the way I approve of, all will be punished. So he says it'll be interesting, now that they've done exactly that, to see what happens. Well, folks, maybe we already are. Well, continues a man who may very well have been America's last great statesman. How does any of this relate to the United States as the once free country moves closer and closer to the midterm elections? Whether they end up happening or not, whether the votes end up being counted, at least counted correctly or not. Your host feels the need to interject here. Americans, he said, have also been given warnings by the political elites that they dare not vote for the wrong candidates or parties. On September 1st, he notes, the Biden Fuhrer, and I'm changing one word there, issued a warning very similar to that of Europe's von der Leyen. In one of the most bizarre speeches in political history, Biden warned that Trump supporters are, quote, determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose. Oh, good grief. It's hard to even read this stuff. No right to privacy. No right to contraception. No right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders, and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, the ones we still are going to allow you peons to have, I think he means, to the pursuit of justice, or more to the point, just us, to the rule of law, as we see it anyway, to the very soul of the fatherland. Said Dr. Paul, he spoke on a frightening red-lit stage with two U.S. Marines flanking him, serving as props on either side. This was no checker speech with Nixon wistfully referring to his cocker spaniel. No, it was a declaration of war against at least half the country. A few weeks ago, he added, Sweden threw out its left-wing government, and Sunday the Italians did the same. While the political differences in Europe seem more cosmetic than substantive, for example, Italy's presumptive new prime minister supports weapons to Ukraine, just like her predecessor, or they'd have probably just killed her, I can't help but think, there is still a strong feeling of popular revolt against the political elites in the air. All of which, says Dr. Paul, doesn't mean things will easily go our way. 
as there is no automatic libertarian surge. But he adds, we ought to study hard and take advantage of every single opportunity, because no doubt about it, people are sick of the elites. That means they're at least likely open to the concept of non-interventionism, maybe even sound money. Well, he says, let's help educate them. And one more thing, folks. If you expect that a rigged election is going to be allowed to turn things around, your host can't help but think um, you may be singing from the wrong hymnal. If Italy was a test case or any kind of a harbinger, I suspect the elites won't allow a repetition of that come November. And I can't help but suggest that the continued proof of that is no doubt on the way. The other big news as of Monday morning that really does have ripple effects all over the place, and it'll probably even take a while to see how those all shake out, is from once Great Britain, where the pound sterling has just plunged 500 pips to a new record low value, just a buck and three pennies against the U.S. dollar in what's called an absolute carnage of foreign exchange reserves. Zero Hedge puts it this way in their headline, Pound flash crashes 500 pips to a record low amid global FX carnage as things start breaking. Just as last week ended, they note, with a relentless melt-up in the exponentially rising U.S. dollar, and while that might have a few short-term positive effects in the long term, that's a devastating situation, i.e. some cheaper imports, but only while they last. All of this coupled with a collapse in cable, the yen, the yuan, euro, and so on, not to mention stocks and bonds, means that as the new week begins, the moves are now even faster, more brutal, and more acute as we approach the probably inevitable breaking point. Case in point, after starting modestly higher on Monday morning, says the piece, the melt-up in the dollar accelerated as the Bloomberg dollar index exploded to do all-time highs. Facilitated by a Japanese yen whose plunge made a mockery of Thursday's multi-billion Bank of Japan intervention and forcing Kuroda to sell even more tens of billions in U.S. treasuries to cash into U.S. dollars, which he'll then sell for yen, and in the process pushing up 10-year yields even higher, creating what they refer to correctly as a toxic feedback loop of higher yields and an even higher dollar, sending yields higher and the dollar yet higher still. And as other stories have noted, the real highlight of the session so far has been the total collapse in the pound sterling. We will certainly talk about the aftermath and follow-ons and uh, what's coming next on that score after the break. But meanwhile, let's wrap up this segment with just a couple more bits of potpourri for the week that kind of show what happens in the vacuum of actual leadership, because they can no longer tell senility from gravitas, not just in a nation determined to commit suicide, but worldwide. Let's kick it off with more from the Forrest Gump Files, where the Biden Fuhrer repeats another lie that's been so roundly debunked, you'd think even he would remember not to follow through on this one. Do you realize... The bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun. And no, folks, it's not even remotely the fastest rifle round, much less five times. This is still true, though. Did you realize that the lies that come out of this idiot's mouth are five times as stupid as anything ever said before by anybody pretending to be president? Why, how bad is it? So bad that even a leftist like Professor Jonathan Turley is admitting, wow, this one's a whopper that can't go unchallenged. So he actually has to quote field and stream and some bullet statistics to show you just how big of a whopper the Biden Fuhrer is pulling. And not for the first time. He claims there are good faith arguments for gun control. Well, no, that's not true. But at least the ending here is, while we might want to have a worthy debate, we ought to at least follow the rule of the late Senator Patrick Moynihan, who said everyone's entitled to his own opinion, but not his own facts. 
Unfortunately, folks, these aren't even facts that the regime is talking about anymore. They're bald-faced outright lies that even the far left can't swallow, even in the furtherance of their own agendas. And to top it all off, while Vladimir Putin has now annexed those four regions that voted the other day to rejoin Mother Russia and has warned again that he doesn't intend to put up with things like acts of war and blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline, the Biden Fuhrer is again talking to dead people and embarrassing anybody who doesn't like to admit the man is beyond senile at this point. Addressing the late Indiana representative Jackie Walorski, who tragically died in a car accident in August, about which the alleged first family issued a statement saying they were shocked and saddened by her death, but obviously not enough that he remembers it. Here's where he went off script again and into the weeds. I want to thank all of you here for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was was going to be here. Uh, No, she's not. But that's not the problem. Senility, on the other hand, is. Especially when his puppet masters are trying to push the U.S. into a nuclear war with the rest of the world that's not senile and has a far better clue about exactly what's going on. And that includes seeing through an idiotic White House press secretary who doesn't have the excuse of senility to the point where she's not even a decent liar. Yeah, they're a joke, but it's not even remotely funny. And we'll be right back after this. back now to the second segment for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and since we're now early into the countdown towards the remainder of the biblical fall feasts, if history and scripture is any guide, and they are, that means there's a lot of other things we still need to talk about in this segment. Starting with Paul Joseph Watson and Summit News, and of course, the continuing saga of the escalation in World War III. And this is almost a humorous interlude to start us off, folks. Where the question is, did the U.S. commit that overt, in-your-face act of war? As just about everybody has pretty much concluded is beyond a reasonable doubt at this point, and nobody else would have any reason to want to do anyway, or not. Well, if the Biden Fuhrer and Victoria Newland, to name just two, having overtly threatened to do exactly that just a few months back isn't enough, we had this late Wednesday. From Fox News and crack reporter Jennifer Griffin. So, hey, what are we waiting for? Despite the fact that there hadn't been any actual investigation having taken place. And who are we kidding, folks? When the FBI conducts it, we already know the answer. She tweeted, there is no evidence or even indication that the U.S. was involved in any way with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline explosions. How do we know? Quote, my question at the Pentagon briefing today, can you rule out that the U.S. was involved? Said a senior military official, yeah, we were absolutely not involved, unquote. And there you go, folks. Take your poison poke and shut up. Besides, as you probably already know, if there had been any evidence, you can rest assured the FBI will have already taken care of that. And if you're not really cynical on all of these scores by now, it just means you haven't been paying attention. But don't worry, the rest of the world certainly has. 
as to real evidence, including little things like motive and quo bene, in spite of the waste stream and Pentagon lies, there's plenty of that. And we'll come back to it in a bit. The story that is occupying much of the front pages comes from Florida and also the neighboring states. As we rolled into the weekend, both Carolinas, Georgia, and even Virginia have all declared their own states of emergency after Hurricane Ian produced what's been called a 500-year flood event across Florida. The Category 4 hurricane, now downgraded to a tropical storm, made landfall Wednesday afternoon west of Fort Myers near Kaya Costa. Ian unleashed an 18-foot storm surge, flooded the region, and destroyed all kinds of property. Over 2.5 million homes and businesses are without power, and the Lee County Sheriff told ABC's Good Morning America that he believes fatalities from the storm would number in the hundreds. Damage estimates so far are around $70 billion in losses, say insurers. And the underlying story here, folks, is also interesting. Here's one easy example. Supply chain effects from Hurricane Ian could linger for weeks and, yes, could result in even higher inflation. The risk to manufacturing, says freight waves, agriculture and distribution sectors in Florida especially, is rapidly intensifying as the hurricane has devastated the state's southwest coast. But economic ripple effects are likely to be felt well beyond the storm zone. Experts are predicting severe disruption, what, even more, to supply chains from the flooding, power outages, and wind damages that could, I'm going to put the word further in here, stall factory and farm production, as well as, what else, freight movement through major port, airport, highway, and rail nodes. Kind of makes you wonder if Corinne Jean-Pierre will try to blame the hurricane for all of the economic devastation already in progress. It's almost like they want you to forget about Hurricane Wuhan, Hurricane Fauci, and of course, Hurricane Biden. But here's how one of the Zero Hedge stories concludes. They call it the perfect storm at the worst possible time. Maybe that depends on what kind of an excuse you need. The real economic story, though, folks, isn't getting much coverage, from the waste stream anyway. And outside of that associated directly with the escalation of World War III, it has to do with the bond market meltdown and the biggest debt bubble in all of human history. And the really big economic story over the last couple of days has been what's called the BOE panic. When after saying there would be no pivot, just like the Fed's been saying, the Bank of England literally panicked and shocked markets by resuming QE to infinity and buying any bonds that weren't nailed down but maybe were in free fall. Some immediately claimed that the imminent meltdown and disaster were averted by the panic. But a piece from Zero Hedge says behind that panic are billions in margin calls that were death spiraling into a complete bond market collapse as well as a pension fund wipeout. It's only fitting, begins that one, that literally hours after the most clueless dwarf in capital market history, Janet, no crisis in my lifetime, Yellen, said that financial markets are functioning well, <laughs> that the Bank of England literally panicked and shocked markets by doing exactly what we've said, resuming unlimited QE. The late Wednesday afternoon headline put it this way, Bank of England capitulates and restarts QE due to significant dysfunction in bond markets and material risk to financial stability. In a pivot that was so fast it might just make your head spin, Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden reported that the BOA became the first bank to capitulate on their plans to proceed with quantitative tightening when they restarted QE in what they called, oh yeah, are you listening, temporary and targeted bond buying operations, which will no doubt be just as temporary as temporary inflation was. Basically what this means, they write, is QT is over before it even started, and QE is back with a vengeance. But there's even more. A follow-on piece said, yeah, the main reason that the BOE panicked, what with billions in pension funds set to suffer catastrophic losses, failing that intervention, 
And maybe that merited the latest pivot. There's another reason why the central bank stepped in as well. It's not just the U.S. where housing affordability is at its worst in history. A note from Deutsche Bank's Jim Reed, head of the thematic strategist, writes that the bank's U.K. home building equity research team pushed out some fascinating insights into what the recent issues in the U.K. could do to so-called housing affordability. Their chart of the day shows the ratio of U.K. mortgage payments to take-home pay. And I'll skip some of the lurid details here. But basically, 26% of all U.K. mortgages are variable rate and set for imminent repricing. And you can pretty well guess what that would lead to. Especially, folks, and the article didn't say it, but I will. They're not going to be able to afford to heat those houses anyway. And given that things are already out of control in England, and London in particular, they were looking at affordability rates that basically amounted to un. Still, though, concludes Reed, the U.K. housing market is in for a huge amount of pain ahead, unless the Bank of England were somehow able to monetize all upcoming debt issuance and send rates right back down to zero. Oh, but wait, yeah, there's still hyperinflation on the other side of that coin. Speaking of which, here's another one of those commodity stories your host has been saying pay special attention to. Aluminum surges the most on record, says the headline, as the London Metals Exchange considers a ban on more Russian stuff, aluminum in this case. Commodity prices back in February and March, as you may recall, soared to record highs on fears back then that Russian supplies would be permanently taken off the market. And while commodities as a whole are still below those levels, in many cases they're now even down on the year. Hey, a depression will do that. Every now and then we get a reminder, says Tyler Durden, of just how complacent the market has become when it comes to continued Russian commodity supplies. In other words, now that they've shot themselves in the foot and nobody's been paying much attention of late, it's time to reload. Today, they say, was such a day for aluminum, which soared by a record 8.5% on the London Metal Exchange after Bloomberg reported that the exchange plans to discuss yet another, oh yeah, say it with me, idiotic idea, a potential ban on new Russian metal supplies. We don't have any anyway, and we don't have any gas either, so hey, we're not going to need anything that we can't refine, I guess may be the point. Prices for the most widely used base metal, they note, spiked to $2,300 plus per ton in the biggest intraday gain on record. Nickel rallied 5%, zinc up more than 4%, pairing sharp losses for industrial metals so far this month, sparked by market fears that an imminent recession, <laughs> oh yeah, sure, will collapse demand. But I guess if there isn't going to be any anyway, how can it matter how much it costs? Citing various sources, Bloomberg reports that, quote, the LME plans to launch a discussion paper on whether and under what circumstances it should block new supplies of Russian metal from being delivered to its network of warehouses. Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Stupid is stupid does, Mrs. Blue. I guess. And given all of that, this next one is arguably almost, but not quite funny. This comes from John Cody via Remix News, also via Zero Hedge and other aggregators. Could conservatives one day eventually score a breakthrough in German politics? The AFD, a.k.a. the Alternative for Deutschland, or Germany Party, which, because they're right-thinking, has been facing extreme political pressure, including threats to ban the party entirely, is now seeing a surge in support, particularly in what was once formerly East Germany. It's now the strongest party in the East and rises to 15% naturally. The problem, folks, is it's way too late. Whether Germany realizes it or not, they have been mortally wounded. People there are going to freeze to death this winter, and it's basically all over, but the inevitable shouting. Yeah, if they were going to turn to the right, they should have done so in time to do them any good. 
Well, folks, now that all of that's out there on the table, I guess I can summarize the B of E capitulation story the way Zero Hedge did by saying the bottom line for all of these things is that this is the beginning of the end for a fiat global currency system, which now faces its terminal dilemma. And, of course, the Austrians have been saying this is precisely the only way it could end up for, well, decades now. Either they fight inflation and suffer market collapse and economic depression with millions laid off, and that certainly looks like it's in the cards already, or they push to stabilize social order and employment with higher asset prices. Runaway or hyperinflation be damned. What do you bet they're going to end up with both? Now, at this point, folks, I'm going to turn back to the bigger picture, which I've suggested for quite some time, is planned and complete destruction by those that literally want to see billions dead and the entire world economic system not just imploded, they'll profit on the way down, but utterly destroyed so that they can literally buy it all up and build back better for pennies on the fiat buck. And if you think about it, who needs massive supplies of energy and raw materials anyway if you intend to have most of the people that would have otherwise used those things dead? And all you need is just complete control over everything and every one that's left. And since this is a story that it seems like I've done a hundred variations on over the last few months, let me start this summary with this piece from the CCP Enclave, that huge Communist Chinese Party colony on the left coast. You may have heard it called California with a K. Well, we know that killing kids is a sacrament of their one-world religion. We know that they're really jonesing to kill a whole lot of other people, too. Witness the poison poke mandates, the mask idiocy, the lockdowns, the feces and needles in the streets. You name it, if it's idiotic, they're subsidizing it, mandating it, and making the good people who haven't yet left the state pay for it. And just so there's no doubt, here's a story from Ethan Huff and Natural News that ran over the weekend. California next intends to legalize, are you sitting down, folks, state-sponsored trafficking of children, combined with, what else, child mutilation and castration in the name of transgenderism and the great God that's antithetical to the one that wrote the Bible. Yep, the legislature is now definitely trying to make all of that happen, it says, courtesy of Senate Bill 107, introduced by Scott Weiner, a prominent far-left communist legislator there, the guy who wants everything from preteen vaccination without parental consent to mandated drag queen story hours in grade schools. And it was recently passed, if you can believe that, and now awaits the signature of the wannabe dictator, Gruesome Newsom, allowing the Golden State to take custody, not just of in-state minors whose parents didn't know to get them out of there in time, but out-of-state minors who claim they want to become trans and are prohibited from doing so in their home state, but now California will try to literally, well, extradite them in order to push their perversion outside of the state's borders. Here's a quote from the piece. California's courts would have the ability to assume full custody, they claim, of children whose parents refuse to allow them to have their breasts removed or their penises cut off, and then the state would become their new parent, and the real parents wouldn't have any say in the matter. Reported the Gateway Pundit, all the court would need to prove is that the minor has been mistreated or abused, defined as being unable to obtain gender-affirming health care. Have you noticed how language really no longer means squat? 
And it's not even clear whether the child has to enter California before they try to take custody of them or if maybe the state can interfere and assist the child in traveling and accommodations to their newfound, arguably irreversible, mutilated status. So if these are the kind of people we start off with that are willing to do that, I guess nothing else we're going to say should surprise us. Here's a related story, but an entirely different area of idiocy. The state of California has now decided to ban the sale of natural gas furnaces and water heaters by the year 2030. But you can guess the effects will be felt real soon now. In the name of Akhtung, you will not have any energy supplies that we don't want you to. Especially if it has to do with carbon, you little carbon-based peon, you. Or doesn't meet our green agenda. Yep. The California Air Resources Board, sick over the weekend, voted to enact their policy, which will phase out sales of gas heaters and furnaces in favor of electric ones, which, if they don't have any electricity, won't do much good anyway, because they claim it's all about combating climate change. And that seems to mean wiping all of you carbon-based life forms out of it. And this follows the Golden State also having enacted a ban on small off-road engines and making sure that any diesel-powered trucks that they don't like can't get to ports either. So really, folks, is it that much of a leap to imagine that the kind of mentality that would do idiotic, absolutely self-destructive stuff like this might just blow up a pipeline, bringing natural gas to people who are going to freeze this winter without it anyway? They hate so-called fossil fuels, all of them, even the clean ones, and they especially hate people who need them to live. Let's continue then with the economic aspect of that and one of the world's biggest and perhaps, as it's been argued, most important, BASF or B-A-S-F. And kudos to Mike Adams for being the first person I heard point this out, although since there have been a number of others. Their German headquarters, and I'll only briefly butcher this by trying to pronounce it, the Ludwigshafen Verbund site is the world's largest integrated chemical complex. With offices, production facilities, energy flows, and logistics all networked together, it has an area of about 10 square kilometers, or almost 3.9 square miles in size, employs 111,000 direct full-time employees, and has an annual salary cost of over $11 billion. This is a massive facility, folks which makes literally thousands of products in 23 different categories, from base chemicals used in other industrial processes to pigments and paints and plastics for consumer items and pretty much you name it. I remember them from back in my electronic engineering days as being a major magnetic tape and disc supplier, among a whole lot of other things. But here's what a lot of people are now starting to think through. This single factory consumed a huge percentage of the entire Nord Stream 1 natural gas pipeline flow, not just for energy, but also they used the natural gas as a primary raw input to a number of their chemical processes. So guess what that means to future supplies, and you can say it with me, supply chain issues of just about every single product you can imagine, especially in Europe. This wasn't just another domino that's been knocked over, folks. This was a huge piece of the entire global economy that was just blown literally to smithereens. So, I guess you could say, speaking of which, let's return to the physical aspect of that destruction earlier in the week. Almost immediately after the oh-so-suspicious explosions of not one but multiple Nord Stream pipelines, a former Polish defense minister, Radek Sikorski, blamed the United States for it, tweeting bluntly, but to no small amount of leftist anger, Thank you, USA. 
As the week wore on, though, and the evidence continued to add up, it became harder and harder to criticize him for saying what was pretty well obvious. By midweek, others were writing that it was pretty clear the Russians knew not only that the USA sabotaged their two natural gas pipelines to Germany, but they also knew which U.S. Navy ship was responsible and how the attack was carried out. A site called AZ Military One wrote that an expeditionary detachment of U.S. Navy ships led by the Universal Amphibious Assault Ship USS Kearsarge was days ago in the Baltic Sea, just 30 kilometers from the site of the um, alleged sabotage on Nord Stream 1's gas pipeline and only 50 kilometers from the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. There are references in the article as well to a September 2nd set of maneuvers by an American helicopter. They give the call sign. And they note that the roots of this military equipment was right along and even between the points where the so-called accident occurred. And let's not forget, there was also a piece back in June from Sea Power magazine essentially outlining something that sounds very much like what we actually saw reduced to practice. An exercise called Baltops 22 every year includes the demonstration of NATO, they say, mine hunting capabilities. And this year, the U.S. Navy continues that exercise and to use it as an opportunity to test emerging technology. It's all about, they say, bringing the latest advancements in unmanned underwater vehicle technology to the Baltic Sea in order to demonstrate their vehicle's effectiveness in operational scenarios. And it'd be tough to argue that that wasn't just demonstrated really big time earlier this week. And if you'd like to take a guess where these underwater American drones were strutting their stuff, if you said the area of the island of Braunholm, which just happens to be right near where the pipeline explosions occurred, You'd be right on target, uh, pun intended. Here's one of the Biden puppet's prominent handlers, Victoria Newland, way back in the beginning of this year, obviously threatening to do what's just been done. Um, with regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies, and I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. So I guess you could argue, and your host certainly is alone in this regard, even before the Biden puppet read his lines, they were basically saying, if Russia invades Ukraine, we're going to blow that sucker up. And yeah, hey, guess what? They did. Somebody did, but it sure looks like they were the ones that were talking about it and planning for it. And don't forget this, folks. If you were caught saying something even remotely similar about someone who sometime later turned up blown to smithereens, guess who the prime suspect would be right off the top? From there, I'm going to go to a potpourri of stories that may seem to be all over the place, but ultimately, I can't help but think, yeah, there really is a connection here. See if it doesn't kind of leap right out of the speakers at you. First one comes from the New American's Alex Newman. And an interview with Jack Cashio, one of the best investigative reporters out there, who notes that, as he has been pointing out literally for years, the evidence is that TWA Flight 800, back in the Bill Clinton re-election era, was in fact shot down by a missile, is overwhelming. Turns out, now it's pretty clear it was the U.S. Navy that did the shooting down. Huh. Does that sound kind of remotely familiar? More evidence, says the piece here from Natural News, including a whistleblower, and we've talked about that on this show, have now confirmed that the U.S. Navy did indeed shoot down TWA Flight 800 into the Atlantic as it left New York headed for Europe, and the CIA and New York Times worked to cover it up, along with all kinds of other people who went on to major careers in the swamp. 
In an interview on the Conversations That Matter show with Alex Newman, Jack Cashill reported, Families of the victims have now filed a lawsuit against Big Brother as a result of FOIA documents that have now finally, years later, emerged thanks to the work of tireless researchers. According to Cashill, this was a tragic accident by the U.S. Navy then as it was testing out new technology to shoot down planes and missiles. I remember talking years ago, folks, about how it was associated with what was then called the AWACS-3 program. And there were lots of technical details that helped to make fairly clear what had happened, along with the cover-up, even back in the late 1990s. Under pressure from the CIA, the federal bunglers of investigation, before they got really good at it, played a key role in covering up the truth. And the dishonest criminals at the New York Times carried water for the cover-up, highlighting, even then, the power of the deep state. And Cashel notes that Bill Clinton's re-election was undoubtedly one of the major reasons why this cover-up was so extreme, although... Well, better late than never, we'll actually see if there ever is real accountability. And your host will say it for the, I don't know how many of the time, folks, don't hold your breath. Here's another one. Call it treachery from a different source. Scores of U.S. researchers from a top U.S. weapons lab, the Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. Once upon a time, folks, the most secret of the Manhattan Project's secret cities have been recruited by the, what else? Communist Chinese Party to work on Beijing's military programs, according to a new just-published report courtesy of the Epoch Times, citing information from the strategic intelligence firm Strider Technologies, which notes that some 162 scientists and researchers who worked at LANL are back home in their communist fatherland. The inspiration for the report says the story comes from a March 2017 article in the South China Morning Post entitled, America's Hidden Role in Chinese Weapons research, which notes that so many former Los Alamos National Lab scientists have returned to the People's Republic of China and are now working on military research programs there that they're referred to as the Los Alamos Club. Between 1987 and 2021, it says, at least 162 scientists who'd worked at Los Alamos returned to the PRC to support a variety of domestic research and development programs. Fifteen of those scientists worked as permanent staff members at Los Alamos, says the report. And a whole bunch of them went on to make, quote, strides in the development of the Chinese military's hypersonic missile program, as well as unmanned vehicles, jet engines, warheads, and stealthy submarines. And finally, remember when breastfeeding mothers were being lied to? Hey, not a problem. Nothing we put in this shot could possibly affect your kid. Well, the times are changing, says Igor Chudov in his newsletter, writing about a new article for JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, which published a letter saying vaccine shedding really is, in spite of the Fauci lies, a real thing. And breastfeeding after vaccination is, in fact, in spite of the lies, really dangerous. Because guess what? Mamas that have been turned into walking talking spike protein factories really do shed that stuff through the milk that then infects their kids. The study was simple. Scientists actually picked 11 lactating women who received six Pfizer and five Moderna vaccines during lactation. After that, breast milk was analyzed for the presence of the mRNA nanoparticles, and not surprising, seven of them showed positive for the presence of the DNA modification. Also, the promise that the mRNA from the vaccines stays in the shoulder for outright lies because the vaccine traveled to the breast and then was transferred into breast milk. I guess you could say the moral of the story, if they're wearing a lab coat, if they're taking lots and lots of money from Big Pharma and their lips are moving, they probably not only are lying, they may intend to kill you. Call it one more word to the wise. 